Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at Sarah Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And this is our midweek Bible teaching. We have been walking through God's Word one chapter a week and today we get to Numbers chapter 34. Now as we say each and every week, if you've never read this chapter, if you've no idea what Numbers 34 is all about, go ahead and press pause and read it. Maybe grab a map of uh, ancient Bible lands if you've got one to hand or pull one up on your phone uh, and then we will come back together as we seek to know and grow in the Word. So after the kind of long and detailed chapter last week in Numbers 33, Numbers 34 is relatively brief and essentially gives boundaries uh, for the promised land. So I read this week that we can consider this as a liturgy of geography. We see God's very real promises come in very, very true, um, very physically and literally. So it's a, a point for praise there. But on the other hand, without a map, without a specifically a map of uh, this place in this time, a lot of these place names don't exist anymore. It's going to be really difficult for us uh, to have any kind of concept uh, of what this place looked like, the kind of the scale, the size. Um, but nonetheless, maybe we should consider it from the first perspective then, that these are real people in real places experiencing their very real promises of God. So we begin, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, that is the land that shall fall to you for an inheritance, the land of Canaan as defined by its borders, your south side shall be from the wilderness of Zin alongside Edom, and your southern border shall run from the end of the Salt Sea on the east. Now this pattern continues then from uh, the start of the chapter there to verse 12 the kind of a, an explanation of the borders. We get the southern border, the western border, and the northern border, and then the east seems to be, uh, everything seems to revolve around uh, the Jordan. Down at the bottom there, uh, we, in verse 15, the two tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. So we get that kind of delineating line uh, of the Jordan and Jericho that we talked about in chapter 32. So this first chunk of the chapter talks about the borders of the land um, that's described as Canaan. So from around the 15th century BC, uh, there are records of this place being a place, quite a large area, uh, nominally under Egyptian control, not really under Egyptian control. And this is the land that God has promised his people. Uh, it's given to them there, we see in verse 2, as an inheritance. They're not earning it. This is given to them. Um, again, lots of places throughout that, that first chunk of the chapter. Uh, we read of the brook of Egypt in verse 5. Some people think that that's one of the tributaries of the Nile um, but again, something that stands out really is the fact that these are very real places given to very real people as an inheritance. And these are the very real promises of God that we read about all the way back in Genesis 15, for example. Uh, the Lord made a covenant with Abram 
saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gugshites, and the Jebushites. So all of that to say, uh, it's not an exercise in mispronouncing ancient names, but rather this is the, the now the culmination, the, the, the coming to fruition of these very real promises to very real people. This is the very real land. Uh, that I am going to place you in, going to give to you as inheritance, as a gift. Uh, also pops up in Genesis 26 to Isaac and Jacob uh, in Genesis 28 as well. And we see there that next kind of chunk, verses 13 to 15. Moses commanded the people of Israel, saying, This is the land that you shall inherit by lot. There's no fighting over it. There's no making a case to claim the best and the biggest bit. It's going to be given by lot, and therefore the people could confidently and assuredly believe that this is the land that God wanted them to have individually. We're not making a case. It's not about who can make the best presentation, why we should have this choice bit of land. God is dividing this uh, by lot. I think of the proverb that talks about, you know, man cast lots. Uh, but, you know, God determines where they fall. Proverbs 16.33, you know, the lot is cast into the lap. Every decision is from the Lord. We can throw the dice. God determines how it falls. However your Bible translates that, the people are casting lots and God is deciding which people get which place. And potentially then, this could have been a very divisive issue. You know, we've got this vast swathes of land, tons of people who, who all want the best. People want to live in a nice uh, place. And so the task of doing this is given in verses 16 and 17 to the two most prominent leaders in the community, two of the most godly men in the community. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land to you for inheritance, Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. And then after that, we get a list of, uh, there's one chief from every tribe to divide the land, and these are the names of the men, and those names are rattled off. And then the chapter ends, uh, these are the men whom the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance for the people of Israel in the land of Canaan. So this potentially a very divisive, very difficult task. And again, if it was being done by people, there could be a case made that, well, you know, he's given us not a great plot of land, but he's given his friends the biggest and the best plot of land, a really choice area to live in, which is why I think we see that it's done by lot. And again, we'll come back to that proverb that, you know, men throw dice, God decide where it lands. Which should, in theory, take away any uh, whinging and whining about um, who's getting what and, and, and why they're getting what. But still, it, it must have been a very difficult task to be one of the two people tasked with dividing the promised land that these people have wandered in the wilderness for decades, thinking about, praying for, striving towards, living with uh, with their uh, it's like the ultimate goal of their life is to reach this promised land. You know, I think about Moses after he was told, "No, you're not going to go," and there's this beautiful prayer and. In Deuteronomy 3, where he's like, who is like you, God? You're so good. You're so great. 
because you are so great, please let me cross over with the people. You know, this would have meant a huge deal to these people. And so for Eleazar and Joshua to be tasked with, like, you are going to divide, uh, is, is a really big deal. Uh, and if you read around this, there's kind of... Some people like to make a spiritual... Uh, point that Eliezer is there dishing out the inheritance, and and you know we can make a we can make a connection to Jesus as, as our high priest who bestows upon us the inheritance uh, of salvation and, and adoption to sonship. Um, John Trapp, in particular, pointing to the high priest of the new covenant by whom we have entrance into the promised inheritance, whither he has gone before to prepare a place for us and hath told us that in his father's house are many mansions. I think, you know, if, if you've been with us for any length of time here at the church, we make it an absolute uh, kind of main point of ours one of the big objectives of the church is to show jesus from all of scripture uh, sometimes there are very clear um, pointers uh, types previews and, and foreshadows you know substitutionary sacrifice in uh, in genesis with abraham and isaac we've been working through esther where there are so many uh, points for comparison and oh we flip that story around and it's the opposite is true of jesus or you know esther stepped into the breach to save god's people well so did jesus but there's there's a point where it's not that clear um that we're actually we are talking about jesus and i think a lot of the time the old testament in particular people can can interpret allegorically as an allegory well this must be a story or a poem or a picture that points to jesus when when really these are real people having their real land divided because god has made real promises to them it's nice to draw that comparison um but for me personally i'm not sure that the big idea of numbers 34 is that well look eliezer the priest is involved in handing out the inheritance therefore we should think about jesus from this particular chapter rather for me um i read something recently that fb meyer wrote about this and how yes there are there's a spiritual aspect here we can it's never wrong to make a path to jesus sometimes it's a more convoluted path but it's never wrong to look for Jesus in all of Scripture. Like I said, we do it week after week in the church on a Friday as we gather for worship. And then the bigger thing to come from this is the very real nature. These are real people going to real places, having real land given to them as an inheritance because of the very real multi-generational promises uh, of God. And F.B. Meyer wrote about this and he said that it's really helpful for us to remember that whilst God gave them the land, this, this isn't heaven, this isn't eternity, this isn't a return to Eden. It's a picture of what is to come, but it's not. It's, this is not heaven, this is not eternity. And he, he made the case that this is a real land, but there are going to be problems, and these are real people, and so there are going to be issues. And he said, as, as Christians living now it's so detached from this place and these people he said we can expect the, the same kind of life we can expect to be held 
blameless by God because of our faith in Jesus, but we're not faultless. We can uh, confidently expect to be delivered from temptation, but not freed from its assaults. We can confidently expect to be kept in perfect peace, but not secured from the pressures and the adversities of day-to-day life. We know as Christians we're, we're to be dead to sin and die to self, but we're not bold enough, we're not daring enough to say that that's already done. We're still sinners, and we do still indulge our flesh. We can expect and we can confidently assert that we will be delivered from this present evil world, but yet we're still living in it day by day until that happens. And he concluded this thought by saying, let's take possession of every inch of God-given territory in Jesus, just as these people were going to step into real land and take possession of it and cultivate it and grow it and live in it. But, he says, but beware of going beyond it. So as these people were going to step into this land given to them as an inheritance, hopefully they remember that this is not it. The best is still yet to come. This isn't Eden. This isn't heaven. This isn't eternity. It's great and it shows the goodness of God, but there are still better things ahead for us. And that's 100% true of us in our Christian life as well, as F.B. Meyer wrote there. Take possession of every inch of your God-given territory in Jesus. Step into every single millimeter of your Christian life. Live in it, thrive in it, grow in it, love it, absolutely for sure. But beware of going beyond it. Beware of thinking that this is it. My life is never going to get any better. I've absolutely peaked. I'm living my absolute best life right now because Scripture makes really, really clear that the best is yet to come. You can love your Christian life. You can thrive. You can grow. You can just be on fire for the life that God has given you right now. But there is still more to come. Paul writes about how he's desperate to move on to that next stage where he closes his eyes in physical death and sees the Lord Jesus. But he wants to be here to still be with other people and to help them and to, and to minister to them and to serve them. And so... Going to that next step is even better, although even if you love your life right now, which is great, you don't need to stop doing that, but what is to come is even better. So numbers 34 on the surface, not a great deal going on. It's just a list of boundaries and a list of people. But again, when we scratched a little bit below the surface, we see very real application for us because these were real people in a real place, living real lives, in the very real promises of God, and the same is absolutely true for us. They could love what God has given them as an inheritance. They could love it and live in it every single day, but they should never forget, and we should never forget, that our best is yet to come. Next week then, in Numbers 35, we'll talk about cities for the Levites, cities of refuge, and we are very, very close to the end of the book of Numbers. So until then, God bless.